0: Hi everyone, this is Lee and Alex from Ivy. We are here with Jessica Lynn Williams. So Jessica Lynn Williams founded Henley & Co., it is a full service interior design firm based in Brooklyn, New York and the Hudson Valley. With a personalized approach to design, Henley & Co. joins their clients in celebrating stories of generations past within contemporary spaces by elevating the presence of family heirlooms and original architectural elements among the home. In addition to styling rooms, Henley & Co. engages in research for historic preservation as well as partnering with architects and contractors on new home construction projects. Prior to establishing Henley & Co., Jessica studied under Jonathan Adler, Nate Burgess, and Julia Buckingham gaining experience and learning career-defining lessons along the way, while earning design degrees from Maryland Institute College of Art and Parsons The New School. Thanks so much, Jessica, for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Hi, Jessica. This is Alex uh, chiming in. So I'll start with our very
2: first question for you. So we've known you for a bit now. You've been an Ivy member for over a year, definitely one of our first ones. And we've seen that you've been growing your business quite fast. And we'd love to know, for our listeners to know as well, what has been some of the keys in getting your first clients and building that brand that you're so proud of?
1: Yeah. Um well I I would say the first I'm entering year 5 of business ownership which is really exciting. Um and nowadays a lot of our clients are coming from referral which we're very lucky and fortunate for but I would say for the first you know 3 years it was um, a lot of hustle and it was putting out the word that we're doing this and, you know, trust us with your home and and really those like, you know, in year three to four especially was really about um, honing in and on those trusting relationships with clients so that they would be really satisfied and happy at the end of their project and they mm-hmm. would tell their family and friends. So. You know, I think without knowing, that's kind of where we are right now. And it's just been this rolling method. Um, and, it, and it's been really exciting kind of who pops up um, in terms of clients mm-hmm. and where they came from. It's mm-hmm. um, a very great spot to be in. So would you see your very first clients were people
2: you knew and you, your client base kind of grew from there.
1: Yeah, well, so I had, I'm originally from Maryland, and after graduating from art school in Baltimore, um, I went out to Chicago, and I worked for Mm -hmm. a fine artist there. And she had a client in the suburbs of Chicago who was building a home. And I had kind of let my interest of art and interior design be known. Um, And that's how I gained my first real client. And then from there, it just was a trickle effect and um and it's really exciting because actually this weekend i'm going home to maryland uh and visiting in dc with a new client that's and amazing. that's exciting because yeah it feels full circle and that client was coming from chicago you know it was her sister out of chicago so it's just this really cool um for full circle moment right now um And then I guess outside of the client building, one other thing that I really learned last year was the importance of growing a team. So Mm -hmm. in year four, I felt much more comfortable and confident in
0: bringing on another person. And And what made you feel confident on that? So how did you know you were ready to bring on another person to your team?
1: I think I finally felt comfortable in my knowledge of design and, and, construction to pass on certain things. And of course you're learning as you're going. And I think any designer would say that and business owner, especially. Um, but last year in particular, I just had just a feeling, okay, this is time where I need to really start exploring having another person, at least one other person come in and not be so vulnerable about letting people into the process. Cause that can also be really tricky to, Um, you know, open yourself up and let somebody see like if you have mistakes in your process. Mm -hmm. So um, it was really just knocking that wall down. Um, And I was fortunate to have a lot of great help. And really by the end of the year, I honed in on um, one full time employee. She's with Mm -hmm. me and great. And, you know, we just have a really amazing bond and work relationship. So I really hope, you know, that's you know I, I of course think that that's long lasting as I'm sure she does. Yeah, congratulations on this. It's definitely a big
2: step for any firm starting out, and we know the importance of having the right people
0: around you to to drive for success. And yeah. on that point, how did you know that your company was ready to basically sustain a full time employee? Like where where did you look within your numbers to be like I'm confident that I can bring on this person full time?
1: Yeah, I. I actually, so last year, or it was about two years ago, I received, I got my first very large residential project. So I knew that with that it could be a turning point for the business and to take advantage of having this one really large project. And and the, the projects kind of came in, it was a little strange about how how much construction came to me all at once. So I knew that in order to really take these projects, make the most of them and build these relationships. I had, I just had to. Um, and so the numbers kind of came secondary. I just knew I was going to make it work because I had to. And, um, then once I started, you know, getting into the numbers, then it just made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and l- last year was, you know, it really was a basket of lessons and, I did learn, you know, I hired quickly and then I needed to learn, was that hire smart? Were they the right hire? What are the reasons why I'm having these people, um, you know, alongside me? Cause in my mind, I still was sort of feeling like I could do everything on my own. I would just be much more stressed, but, um, I knew my capabilities and that I could actually take care of it. But the only way to grow, to go forward would be, Let's bring in another person, so I can start managing projects, delegating, and then also thinking about more top level business um, goals that I've just had in mind for years and and really like just finding that one person to really help balance the process has been huge, and it's really been it's afforded me a lot more time lately to think about the business side, which I'm super excited about and, um,
0: and just where we're going. That's great. And so I guess the, the less fun question that's coming up next is what's been one of your biggest mistakes you've made when working with a client and how has this shaped how you do things today?
1: I would say, you know, I, I will go to far lengths to keep a client happy and satisfied. Um, But I will say that communication is really the one that we are continuing to work on every single day. Um, And I think that, again, any other designer could attest to this. You do so much work and pull strings and talk with vendors to Delivered the best news possible to your client. I don't, you know, they don't see all of the things that you're doing on the back end. But I think where we have really needed to really needed to work a little bit more on would have been, we can still be transparent with the clients about what's going on regarding production delays mm-hmm. or um, an order error or whatever the issue may be while also kind of cushioning it. So for us, you know, one of the things would be lead times. We're specifying, you know, custom furniture that could take 11 to 18 weeks for production. And if something happens in that time, you know, let's just cushion it just to make sure. So if it comes in under that, that's great. Otherwise, um, you know, then it's just a a difficult conversation, but Mm -hmm. I would say that has been the repeat for us. We really try to work hard to avoid a lot of challenges in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say just that communication, be transparent with your client up front. Um, And it's okay to cushion a timeline to make sure that, you know, you're kind of, you're um, forecasting an issue.
2: Yeah. So that actually leads me to my next question about client expectations. And if you, how do you vet potential clients before working with them? Have you had bad experiences where you took on a client that you had to fire? Like how do you manage that process?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, that's also an ongoing, an ongoing challenge and a place for lessons to be learned, Mm -hmm. but we have, um, You know, we always say upfront, if we are specifying trade only vendors, you know, those do come with longer lead times, but it's well worth it. So we will put out those kind of points to a client very early on. So they know what to expect. Are you under a timeline? Are you hosting an event? So that kind of helps us really understand where are we sourcing? Like if this is a client that is not going to place high regard on where their pieces are coming from from or how they're made. And it's more about time. That really helps us in our process of where we're shopping and the makers that we're bringing on. Maybe, you know, they're a little bit higher, but maybe they take less time. So there's always just this ebb and flow and balancing. Um, And one of the biggest expectations too is regarding our time. I really, really, try to make it apparent for clients to not work via text message. I know Mm -hmm. other Yeah. That's a boundary that's hard to maintain. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to refer back to something and when you have your phone and you have messages and a shared doc and a Pinterest board Mm -hmm. and all of these different platforms for one single client and you're looking for a piece of information, it's, it's you're not working efficiently because you're spending that time trying to find it so Mm -hmm. we really try to manage that expectation of text us when it's an issue you know when you're on site it's an emergency um I really try to keep my my cell phone out of the process as much Mm -hmm. as possible um pre-schedule a phone call to review a presentation I'm always open to that I'm actually almost more willing to go to a client in person to do a walkthrough or to go through a presentation versus a text message. I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's so much that can get lost Mm -hmm. there and attitude and personality is so intertwined in that conversation that it helps with that as well. Mm
0: So the next question is how you structured your business model. Where do you make most of your money and do you plan to change anything with your business model in the near future and why?
1: So we mostly, our, our highest profits come from our services, our design services. Um, We definitely have been growing since we've been taking on more construction projects Mm -hmm. and that it just opens up for more room of profit. Uh, whether that be from product or sourcing or project management. And then um, the second would be, and I know I've talked about this on a couple of panels that we've done for designer Mm -hmm. meetups, but um, the second profit point for me would be the accessorizing. And that's at the end of a project, um, we will go around and travel and pick up accessories and objects because a lot of times clients aren't coming into the process with a collection of their own, especially if they're, this is their first home. So we really curate a collection of objects and art and accents for them place in their home. Once the, um, project has, has, um, come, it's coming to a near near end. And then we give them opportunity to see those pieces in place. And then more often than not, they, take everything. Mm. And it's because they're able to see it in person for themselves. That's great. And you make it, you're taking a markup on this? Yeah, so a lot of these items will be things that sometimes I hold on to for a little while and I wait for the right client, especially if it's a vintage item. Um I get a little sentimental about them and I really want certain mm-hmm. pieces to go to the right client um but yeah uh there would definitely be a markup because we are moving to go to your the next part of your question the next place is to tap into retail a lot
0: more Mm. Um, interesting so you're doing because right now you're making most of your money from service services so hourly and you want to move more into the markup arena is that correct
1: Yeah, exactly. And I've always been a collector from a young age, even when I was like in my first few jobs, I've always collected pieces and they've just filled my home. And Mm -hmm. what I learned from that weirdly enough was that I don't have these personal attachments to everything. Mm -hmm. I think I just love the idea of helping someone else curate a collection of objects for themselves. And And this is also part of why we rebranded was to be able to help to really just help define um, what we think a home should be. It should be these objects that designers are helping you bring in, but also bringing in things that you already have that you don't know could work. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Lucky clients to have such a collector as a designer. It's really incredible. And on that point, actually, I wanted to know a little bit more about, a unique vendor or unique source of products and objects since you you love doing that. And it's clearly in your blood since a a very young age and you're in New York. So I'm sure you have access to lots of um, sources that our listeners may not have access to. If you have anyone to share, we'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say one that I really like, and I don't know, um, how widespread they are yet, but it's an online estate sale website called Everything But the House. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this goes with my my interest of going to yard sales and flea markets, estate sales, but mm. it makes it really easy as a designer to shop online. And it's pretty well curated. I mean, it, among really gorgeous gilded mirrors, you, you will have the baseball card collection, which you're not that interested in, but um, it's kind of a, a designer's take on eBay.
0: So just so everyone listens, so you're saying it's called everything but the house and what's the URL? It's um, ebth.com. So ebth.com. is a great place to find basically unique items, correct? Yeah. Yes. Which you can mark up on. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, The next question is about how do you create a productive work environment? Do you have any routines that help you make the most out of your workday? I would love to hear those.
1: Yeah, Um, atmospheric wise, we always have music playing. Um, That's always important to me. So whether I'm the first or last to get into the office, music always has to be on. And it could be anything from light jazz. It could be indie. It just really depends on how we're feeling and, uh, what the projects we have on board are. And then, um, also this is, I think, a uh, you know, an obvious one, but a tidy space really helps us. So we've Mm -hmm. done, we've been very proactive in trying to create a very organized, very, um, just beautiful and clean space with flowers and candles. And that just really helps us to, you know, set the tone for the work day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of productivity, we have moved everything over to Google. So we use mm-hmm. slides for our presentations. Now we mm-hmm. use um, the docs for all of our, um, all of our more written um, mm-hmm. lists and things, but we have, I would say within the last two months, we've started a overall checklist. This includes every client that we're working on right now, including pending clients that I'm about to brief my design assistant on just so that we both have an understanding of full scope. And then underneath each client has all of the tasks, more of the pressing tasks or the things that we need to work on every week. At the end of the week, it's updated. Um, And then we, define each task with different kinds of markings, whether it's just like bolding them or Mm -hmm. color coding them um, for who's taking care of that task. What's the status? It's very, very, very simple, but um, we have found just this simple checklist is really helping us knock things off our list. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And we do, we do see a growth in how much work we're getting done in one day Mm -hmm. uh, by both having exposure to everything that's going on, Mm-hmm. Um with our workload. That's really nice.
2: It makes so much sense to just have everything in writing and hold people accountable too on them, what they're up to.
1: Yeah. And and it's I think it's really important for a a boss also to give a little exposure of what they're working mm-hmm. on. Absolutely. Um so that anyone on the team is not left wondering um how you're spending your time.
0: Completely. Yeah.
2: That's so true. And for my last question, it's a big one. I would love to hear your intentions for the rest of the year. And obviously we're halfway through the year already, but (laughs) what do you plan for, um, you know, June onwards for making, uh, taking your business to the next level?
1: So I mentioned this a little bit. We really do want to tap into retail more than we have. Um, I think we've been doing it privately in terms of just Clients only um, we moved into a storefront space in February in Bushwick for those Congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That's It's very exciting. So right now it's it's truly set up more for a studio um, Environment, but as we go along we're going to be um, Outfitting the space with more shoppable um, more shoppable spaces mm-hmm. and Um, And then also we just went through a rebrand and that's very exciting um, because I think that now that my name is not at the forefront of it anymore, I always had a, I don't know what it was, but I just, I needed my name to be a little bit out of the light so that the customers or clients could really view us as a brand or as a studio mm-hmm. with multiple people. That's really interesting, actually. And
2: it's a debate that we see often in our community forums. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times designers will ask, you know, should I use my last name and my firm's name or not? So you you had a firm named after you and you decided to stick away from it and create yeah. a brand for your firm.
1: Yeah. And I think, so this, I mean, just to give a little, shed a little light onto it was last year that became very apparent to me that I didn't want my name solely attached to everything we we're doing because I knew that I was starting to grow the team and it felt a little mm-hmm. strange that it was only my name and um and so it took a while for me to actually I was toying with a lot of different business names but ultimately it came down to me using my mother's maiden name my um you know, where we're going, where we're focusing, we're starting to hone in on our own design perspective. So mm-hmm. all these things are happening now that we've worked on several projects. And um, really, really my goal in 2018 is to really, really develop what this brand is mm-hmm. as well as implement the retail side. But um, our firm is really set in um, celebrating like Lee had said, celebrating generations past. I'm all about family heirlooms, incorporating mm-hmm. that with new pieces um, and um, and just celebrating like just, you know, my own, my own heritage.
2: That's um, amazing. Through this. What steps are you actually taking in building this brand? Now that's a brand new brand, well, you know, a lot of firms are starting out. I'm sure I'm wondering also, what is the first thing I should do? when, when starting my business as far as branding is concerned?
1: Yeah, I I think that one, obviously the aesthetics are super important because this really does help people understand how you're expressing what it is that you're doing and the kind of work that you want. And that was a really important one was I, I wanted to start placing, um, the way that I wanted to design, the way that my personal style is, I wanted mm-hmm. to start putting that out so that people would then come to me for that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the aesthetics are super important. I'm fortunate to have a graphic designer husband. Um, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very fortunate. Yeah, I mean, I have my undergrad in graphic design, but I'm nowhere. I have not really. I have not touched on those skills <laughs> in a very long time. Um, but with you know, he, um, has really helped me think about the brand from a holistic standpoint. So it's, it's obviously the branding, the name, but then it's also like, what is this about? There's the language behind it. How are you, um, writing an email? What's the tone of that? Are you more serious? Are you more, um, more, um, you know, excited and in the way that you're Mm -hmm. talking with people. And also social media has been a really big one that we've been talking about a lot. Um, I would say I'm semi active on the, on the social front Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always tried to, you know, do the best, but certainly with this brand, um, this is some, something that I'm going to place more importance on going forward too there's a lot to say there's a lot of things that I I want to do a lot more design writing in this um, yeah. talking about historical preservation my love for old furniture mm-hmm. and just telling family stories talking about etiquette and um, and all of those things so um, and then all of that will be applied to to the retail and in the objects and and definitely through services
0: Amazing. Well, it sounds like you have a lot on your plate in 2018 and we're excited and we're very grateful that you're a part of the Ivy community. You are such a bright light and you're engaged with the Ivys in New York as well as across the country. So we're so grateful to have you a part of our mission. And thank you so much, Jessica, for taking the time today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. And see you at ICFF on Monday. Absolutely. You will.